to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The last time I was a member of a pastoral staff, we used to meet on a Tuesday morning for prayer. And at one of our meetings, one of the younger members of staff announced that he and his wife were to be parents for the first time. Someone, there was much congratulation, and someone said, um, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? And he said, it's a boy. And then someone said, what are you going to call him? And he said, I'm going to, I want to call him Athanasius. Athanasius. There was silence in response to that. And someone said, what does your wife think? Well, she's not so sure. And six months later, little Joshua was born. <laughs> Why would you call your son Athanasius? If you had the name Athanasius, would you stand up for that and be glad that you had the name Athanasius? I don't know how that works, but I'm David Andrew Cook, David Athanasius Cook. That doesn't sound too bad. How does it sound for you, Athanasius? I want to call him Athanasius. 
Now, we come today to this last psalm in this series. If you've got it there before you, I'm sure that'll be helpful if it's open, because the question that Psalm 139 answers is, how should I live in the world which God has made through his son, the Lord Jesus, and for his son, the Lord Jesus? It's very cruel to live in God's world without any culture or language or knowledge of God himself, but how can I live best in the world that God has made through and for his son? And if you'll notice that this is a classic psalm, there are 24 verses, and if you like, there are four stanzas, and each stanza has six verses. Uh, I, I used to be the chaplain of a nursing home, a retirement village, and I'd often ask people, would you like me to read uh, your favourite psalm? And I can imagine someone saying, oh, yes, Mr Cook, my favourite psalm is Psalm 139. Please read that. But please don't read those last six verses, verse 19 to 24. They're awful verses. Just read up to verse 18. And you can see that because there's a sense in which this is a wonderful psalm. We're carried along. And yet then we come to verse 19 to 24 and it's all ruined. Now, the Latin word omni is the word which means all, is the word that we describe God. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And God is omnipotent. That is, he is all powerful. And yet those designations suit this psalm very well. Verses 1 to 6, he is the God who knows me. He is omniscient. Verses 7 to 12, he is the God who is with me. He is always everywhere. And verses 13 to 18, he is the omnipotent God. He's the all-powerful God. And then verses 19 to 24, well, it's the mystery, isn't it? It's omni-mystery, if you like. Let's call it that. So let's start out. Verses 1 to 6. Uh, God's perfect knowledge of me. Human knowledge uh, has two limitations. You'll know that if you meet uh, lots of PhDs, they are to be respected. But a PhD knows a great deal about a tiny little. And uh, that's human knowledge. It just doesn't know everything about everything. If I need a heart operation, I don't turn to my mechanic. And if I need my car fixed, I don't turn to my cardiologist because human knowledge is limited in its subject matter but it is also limited in its time span. We need to know something of the past, something of the present, and we know very little of the future. But look at what the psalmist David says in verse 1. O Lord, this is the personal God who knows us, who relates to us, who has entered into covenant with his people. Yahweh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And you know me so well, verse 2, you know when I sit down in private and you know when I rise up and in public. And you go beyond the externals, you discern my thoughts from afar. In fact, verse 3, he says, you are acquainted with all my ways. And he uses the same word that the farmer uses when he throws his wheat into the air and the wind blows through and blows the chaff out. And that is the word he uses, you are acquainted, you have blown through me. You know me so well that you've blown away all the superficiality and you know what is at the core of my being. Even before verse 4, I speak, you know what I'm going to say. You know it even before I speak it, you know it and that's what I say. You know me in public, you know me in private, you know my thoughts, you know my words. Verse 5, you go before me and you come behind me, there is no superficiality in this knowledge. And so he sums up this section in verse 6, such knowledge is wonderful. It's too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Now, if you remember what it was like when you were an adolescent and how you felt, you felt that no one knows you and understands you. My parents don't know and understand me. 
My siblings don't know and understand me. My teachers don't know and understand me. And yet there is one who knows you perfectly. And he knows you. This week we watched Prince Charles, when he was a younger man, be interviewed, and the interviewer said, how would you describe you? That's a good question, isn't it? How would you describe you? The Lord knows me. He knows my joys. He knows my fears. He knows my insecurities. He knows my words. He knows my thoughts. He knows that which motivates me. He knows me through and through. Why? He knows me better than I know me. And David says, it's high. I can't attain. I can't attain the knowledge that he has of me. It exceeds my self-knowledge. He knew when Cain killed Abel. He knew where Achan hid the loot. He knew the number of wives the woman of Samaria had. He knew David's heart. He knew Nicodemus's need. He knew Thomas's condition for belief. God knows. He is the God to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. And if you think that you are hiding back from him, you're not. Because the psalmist says he knows you through and through. We used to sing a, a little chorus, a lovely chorus for children, for us all. The perfect friends, the one who knows the worst about you, but loves you just the same. There's only one who loves like that. And Jesus is his name, his wonderful, wonderful name. If I'm to live in this creation which is made through Christ and for Christ, I need to know that there's no superficiality, there's no play acting. He knows me. But secondly, look at verses 7 to 12, because the key here is how you link this with verses 7 to 12, the omnipresent God. I'm so well known that I feel a bit uncomfortable. Do you know how you feel if someone really knows you that well? You want to get away from such knowledge. You want to escape somehow because you don't want to be known that well. Verse 8, if I go to the vertical dimensions into the heavens, or if I go to the place of the dead in Sheol, you're there. And if I go horizontally to where the morning sun comes up, <coughs> and I gather that's over there, and it sets over there in London, but of course it sets over the sea in Israel, if I go to the horizontal dimensions, you are there. And verse 10 tells us of Psalm 139 that even when I go there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. And you say, well, now I escape. I escape to the dark alleys. I go to the dingy club. Uh, I go to my device. I get behind a screen. I'm absorbed there. No one can see me there. Verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright to you, for darkness is as light with you. There is no escape. The God who knows you is the God who is with you. I am known and I am accompanied. He is always there. But then thirdly, look at verse 13 to 18. It's magnificent poetry. It's inspiration, isn't it? The God who is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And remember that David is writing in the 900s. He's writing in the 10th century BC before there is any real developed knowledge of life in the womb. And yet look at what he says. Look at verse 13. It's a remarkable verse. No matter how my parents, much my parents were involved in my procreation, 
He says, verse 13, he says in the original, for you, and he underlines that, you yourself. You are the source of me. You form my inward parts. And he uses the word, you knitted me together. It's a beautiful picture being knitted together when I was made in my mother's womb in the secret place. And he goes further than that. Look down at verse 15. He talks about being intricately woven. The same word used of the women who were preparing the tabernacle curtains and they did fine needlework. You did that fine needlework with me. You intricately wove me together. You knitted me together. And then you deed the fine needle point. I praise you, verse 14, because this is fearful and this is wonderful. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You knit me together in that secret place. The all-powerful God goes into the secret place and he weaves and knits you. And then verse 16, I think, really is the crescendo, isn't it? He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance when I was fetus, and in your book were written every one of the days, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Even there, before I was born, here it is, 1947, before I was born, it was written in God's book every day that I would live. And so I'm told that this sovereign hand of providence, this shepherd God, determines every day of my life on this planet before he takes me home. Now that's how well that God knows you, that is how perfectly God is with you, and that is how powerfully God has made you and superintends all things in your life. It is remarkable, is it not? Uh, in our last church where I pastored, we had a man who used to give the announcements, the notices, and he was a plant breeder. And inevitably, when you give notices, you give birth notices. Mother and father both well. Baby weighs this, born such and such. That, that's basically it. And that's all we got from him, the plant breeder. And then after he retired, uh, his job was taken by a gynecologist uh, obstetrician. <laughs> and this man got up, and he just didn't make it to birth notice of the very basics. He went into every detail you could imagine. And say, hey, stop, don't tell me all this. I don't want to know all the intricate detail. There is so much detail that a gynecologist obstetrician could give us. And yet David here in the BC gives us the basics. Now, just think about this. You are awesomely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Since you were here last Sunday, do you remember last Sunday? Since you were here last Sunday, that heart, that pump that is beating in your chest, has beaten 700,000 times. Ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. That's five. 700,000 of those. And it didn't have a break. It didn't think, oh, I'll have a rest now. I've been doing this for too long. Because you're here. It didn't have a break. It kept going. Now, isn't that remarkable? It is a remarkable thing, 100,000 times a day, that heart keeps pumping away. And even when I'm asleep and I consciously don't make it do it, it does it. And did you know that the brightest light your eye can see is 400 times brighter than the dimmest light your eye can see? Isn't that a remarkable thing? And I used to have a physiotherapist who discussed with me whether I needed a new knee. He knew I was a Christian, and he said, of course, when your mate made that knee, he did a pretty good job, meaning God. So the knee substitute is not nearly as good as the original, which God did. I'm awesomely, fearfully, wonderfully made. And the hand of providence which made me is the hand which guides me and directs me.
So there it is. To live best in God's world, I need to know that I'm known. No superficiality. That I'm accompanied. There's no off limits for his presence. And that I'm shepherd providentially in every situation. The numbers, the days are written in the book. A beautiful psalm. Oh, Mr. Cook, let's forget 19 to 24. 19 to 24, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Men of blood who drop blood at first resort, not last, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intention. Your enemies take your name and they empty it of any significance and honour and weight. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? A stronger word than hate. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Are you embarrassed by that? Yes, I'm embarrassed. But my embarrassment is a sign of my double-mindedness. Perhaps I'd rather not make waves. Perhaps I make all the right signs. I virtue signal. I'm politically correct. I don't want them at the school or at the campus or in the office to know that I'm some sort of fundamentalist extremist, that I've got some phobia. I remember an elderly Christian minister said to me before I was ordained for Christian ministry, I will give you the secret of a happy ministry. Never be dogmatic. Oh, God says repent of your sins, but then what would he know? Let's not be dogmatic about it. Never be dogmatic. And there's that pressure on us all, isn't there? A progressive state needs a progressive church. And the central creed of the church in the progressive state is tolerance. And the great characteristic of that church is non-judgmentalism. We love your sort of Christian because you're so non-judgmental. Listen to this hypothetical on our television in Sydney. If there were a US nuclear destroyer coming to Sydney Harbour, and a friend of yours said, let's go down to the harbour's edge and shoot as many American sailors as we can. What would you say to them? And the young person said, oh, I'd say, no, that's not my thing. That's not my thing to do that. But if that's your thing, well, then you be true to yourself. You do your thing. You do you. I won't judge you, but I won't do that. It is pathetic, is it not, that that is the day that we live in. Verse 19 to 24 is ill at ease with the all-affirming the tolerant, the non-judgmentalism, you do you. Now, I've actually heard this psalm preached up to verse 18, and the preacher stopped at the end of verse 18. But I want you to notice that the psalmist doesn't, that God doesn't stop at the end of verse 18. To live properly in God's world, in the world of the omni-God, I must proceed to verses 19 to 24, for that is the faithful Christian walk. This world is made for Christ and by Christ. This is the world he made. How do you, as one who is known by him, with whom he is ever-present, who initiated and directs your life, live in a world which is dominated by the wicked, men of blood, people of malicious intent, who empty God's name of honour, who hate and rise up against God. How do you live there? And the question this psalm leads us with is, where do you stand in the playground? Where do you stand on the camus? Where do you stand on the exchange floor? Well, we're in the minority, in God's world. And that's why this psalm is such a challenge to us. We have big peer group pressure living in God's creation 
among a people who've made by him, who now shake their fist at him. Do you remember back in week one, Psalm 1? Blessed is the one who does not walk with the wicked, who does not stand with the sinner, who does not sit with the scoffer. Blessed are you when you get your address, your solidarity right. What do you do when the heavy hand of imposed tolerance from the HR department descends upon you? Where do you stand? Do you stand in solidarity with the Lord? No, don't go looking for trouble. It will find you. <laughs> You're sitting there and probably think, well, look, it's easy for you, Mr. Preacher. You live in your own little bubble where you're surrounded by Christians. You don't know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. And I do not believe it's easy. And I believe that we need to be prayerful for one another. Not that we will be reckless, but that we will act respectively, respectfully and with wisdom and with Christian clarity. I need to ask myself, does my Christian walk end comfortably at verse 18? When I go down with my mates, none of whom are Christian, do I stop at verse 18? I'm happy to affirm the omni-God, but I'm drawn in by them and their attitudes. What is my word worth? How can I continue in tolerance when there are so many questionable entertainments? sliding business practices, ethical standards which are highly questionable. When my own children come home from an education system which has become a propaganda unit, how can I be silent and faithful in my walk with the one who made me and who knows me and goes before me and comes behind me? So the question is really, does your Christian life finish at verse 18? Where is your address? Where do you walk? Where do you stand? Where do you sit? Now look at the way David speaks because he knows he's using strong language and he's sitting almost in judgment and the human judge must sit before the judgment seat of God and so he cries out in verse 23 to God, Oh God, search me. Know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's really what this psalm's about, isn't it? Three times, look at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And then a final plea, verse 23, search me, know me. And even as I take a stand with you and I re react to those who hate you, oh, please try me and know my thoughts and lead me in the way everlasting. By your call of mercy, by your grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Saviour, we are thine. Amen. What, what, what do you mean, amen? What, do you, what about Athanasius? Oh, yes, Athanasius. Oh, yes, I haven't lost my marbles. I do remember Athanasius. Let's go back to Athanasius. We can't stop here, can we? Let's go back. So what about Athanasius? Here is the church in the fourth century in the Roman Empire. Every Roman Empire needed a united kingdom and he knew the key to having a united empire was to have a united church and he hated disunity. He didn't worry so much about the truth, he just hated if there was disunity. And along comes a very popular heretic by the name of Arius. 
And Arius had three qualities. He was charming. He had some reason on his side, and he could put his untruth to music. And when people start singing songs, they start believing the lyrics of the songs. And Arius believed that Jesus was inferior to God the Father. He was a lesser God than God himself. And there is only one person who stood out against Arius, and his name was Athanasius. And he was in trouble because he affirmed that Jesus was God, as God the Father is God, so God the Son, so God the Spirit. And Athanasius was on the outer. In fact, Athanasius outlived four Roman emperors, and it was sent into exile in the desert, separated from family and friends, to be quite alone in exile five different times in his life. Athanasius, because he stood for the truth. And someone famously said to him, why do you believe what you believe, Athanasius? The whole world is against you. Why do you believe what you believe, Athanasius? The whole world is against you. And Athanasius famously responded, in that case, it is Athanasius against the whole world. Athanasius against the whole world. Psalm 139, no one finds it easy to stand out from the crowd. It's far easier to stop at verse 18. But the challenge for you today is, are you an Athanasius? Will you stand out for the truth from the crowd? In that case, it is Athanasius against the whole world. Dear friends, there is another omni here. Verses 1 to 6, uh, the omniscience of God. Verses 7 to 12, the omnipresence of God. Verses 13 to 18, the omnipotence of God. Verses 19 to 24, that God will have an omni-righteous people. I want to call him Athanasius. Let's pray. God, our Father, we look to you for the discernment, the wisdom and the strength we need to stand as your people. We were those who shook our fist at you, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. We praise you for your mercy which saved us. And now we pray for grace to stand up as your people, humbly in the midst of fist shakers, that they may know you and be kept from the cruel experience of living in your creation without knowing you. No matter the size of the minority, even when it seems that we are standing against the whole world, so, Heavenly Father, strengthen us, knowing that you are the one who never leaves us. You are the one who has brought us to yourself. You are the one who has given us your Holy Spirit of strength. And we pray this prayer with thanksgiving in the name of the Lord Jesus, trusting in his merits alone. Amen.